Good morning, Crossroads. Hey, you are there. We are here together. What an amazing, amazing blessing. My name is John. If I've never had an opportunity to meet you, I uh, am a part of the Tuesday night here in Goshen, the uh, Crossroads Recovery uh, Crew. And uh, there, thank you. I was hoping there were some. Uh, there were at first service. There's a few here as well. Awesome. Uh, the, the Tuesday night CR crew thinks I look like Jeff Goldblum, so there, there you go. And uh, we were actually on vacation two weeks ago in western North Dakota, little uh, theater, Roosevelt National Park, uh, Medora is the name of the little city, and we were in an ice cream shop, and the gal said, has anyone ever told you you look like Jeff Goldblum? And I'm like, you need to show up to CR on Tuesday nights in Goshen, Indiana. That's what they say as well. Other people say that I sound and or look like uh, Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. And so there we go. That, that, we're on the same track there. And then... Uh, my wife, we're watching Top Gun about two months ago, and she says, man, John, every time we watch this, I just cannot believe how much you look like Tom Cruise. And so there, <laughs> that may not have been exactly how the conversation <laughs> went. Uh, I'm so excited, so honored that God has given us this day. You know what, friends, honestly, uh, yesterday's gone and tomorrow's not promised to us but we do have this day. We have this time to bring our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls before the Lord and ask him to do the work that he wants to do. The last 28 months, we have faced the most disruptive, uncertain, confusing, historically difficult season of our lives. We do not even know all of the ramifications of these years of pandemic, social unrest, economic challenges, human disconnection and disruption. The generational differences from my observation have been magnified more than ever. A hundred years from now, historians and sociologists will be studying the years of 2020, 2021, and 2022 to determine the lasting shifts that our society made during this these years. <laughs> oh, as much as we wish we were out of it, we aren't. I mean, now we've got monkeypox and we've got other, seems like pandemics, other issues that have arisen, inflation. We continue to deal with a season that just seems like it's kind of blindsiding us. Like three years ago, who would have ever guessed that we would be facing some of the conversations that we would have the disruption in our educational system and in the church world and, and how we do work and how we travel and how we communicate with our friends and our families. Crazy, crazy. And those of us that are kind of futuristic, uh, visionary thinkers, I like to know what's it going to feel like five years from now, ten years from now? And quite frankly, the answer is we don't have a clue. What's school going to look like five, ten years from now? We don't even know. What's work going to feel like? What's church? How do we do church ten years from now? We don't know. <laughs> and so I do believe 
I do believe the question that we're looking at as we wrap up the Outsiders series today, I do believe this question is so relevant to our lives. Here's the question. How do you, how do you stay on course when life throws you for a loop? <laughs> when you get blindsided and life seems to be in a tailspin, how do you not end up changing directions and ending up in a whole new destination that you would have never dreamt that you, ended, that you would have ended up in? Oh, we know. We know that when we are blindsided and life comes our way in an unexpected fashion, we know we're going to be dazed. It's going to be a struggle, even if you're following Jesus. But if you and I were headed in the right direction before this unexpected occurrence, whatever it might be, this unexpected season, this unexpected situation, if we were headed in the right direction and we get blindsided, how do we hold steady? How do we stay the course? How do we continue to head in the healthy direction that we were headed in before this event took place? Well, we're going to look at a young teenager a young man named Daniel from the Old Testament who was not afraid of. He did not avoid making a decision that would make him an outsider. And he did so in order to stay on course with God's path, God's goals, God's dreams, and God's path that he was on. Oh my goodness, Daniel faced a life-altering situation. Well, I have been looking forward to spending this weekend with all of you. Thank you so much for being here in Goshen and Nashville and St. Pete and Mishawaka and online and television. I've been so looking forward. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for God's spirit to come. And whatever it is he's wanting to teach me, whatever he's wanting to teach you, remind you of, I pray that our hearts are open. I pray that we have ears to hear. I pray that we have eyes to see. Our hearts are ready to receive what God has for us. So here's the big idea. How do you hold steady when life throws you for a loop? Here's the big idea. If you want to stay on course when life throws you for a loop, you must. Oh, it's not just a suggestion. I'm convinced then you and I must have some predetermined convictions, some predetermined decisions that we've made that we are resolved to follow, even when following those convictions makes you an outsider. Does that make sense? That we have made some decisions before our emotions are wrapped up and we're like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> that we've already made some decisions, some predetermined convictions that when we follow them, it may not be the most popular thing to do. It may not be what everybody else is doing. But when we follow those predetermined convictions, I am convinced that those convictions can hold us steady during times of great disruption. I, uh, I actually got a call from a pastor while I was working on this message about four or five weeks ago, right about this time in the message. I received a call from a pastor and he shared with me some unexpected situations that have come up in his life and in his family. And so we talked for a while and, and I encouraged him and said, call me again anytime. And, and uh, when I got off the phone, I thought, man, 
This, this message is so relevant. What's going to hold them steady during this time? It's some of those predetermined convictions that he and his wife have made before they were ever married. <laughs> they said, this is who we are. This is how we're going to do life together that will hold them steady. On December 28th, 2022, my wife, uh, Terry Hauser, who's the executive pastor here at Crossroads, she and I will be celebrating 33 years of marriage. One of my, yeah. I know we got married in junior high. No one thought it would work, but we, it's worked. <laughs> I've thought about it. We, uh, we, we got a lot of things wrong before marriage. Uh, I've gotten a lot of things wrong after marriage. But as I'm preparing for this message, I do realize that there were three convictions. There were three decisions, three lines in the sand that Terry and I drew before we ever got married that I truly believe has held us steady throughout these 33 years. Uh, while we were on vacation, we, uh, we hadn't been together. Our son and his wife lived down, in, uh, uh, down near uh, the uh, Colorado Springs. Colorado, that's the name of that state, Colorado. Um, and uh, we had not gotten together as, as a family, mom, dad, uh, uh, son, a daughter-in-law, daughter, for it was about 18 months. And while we were watching them ride horses and mini golf and do the lazy river, and, and uh, it's priceless, right? It's priceless. And I thought to myself, had we not had these predetermined uh, convictions, I would have never met my son. Would have never met my daughter-in-law. <laughs> would have never met my daughter. We would have never had these priceless moments. I am convinced that had we, had we compromised on any three of those lines that we drew in the sand, that our marriage would not have made it. I'll share those with you at the end of the message. First, as just as illustrative examples. But first, let's look at this young, strong, courageous hero. A boy who, a uh, young man who had convictions and held them even during a very, very difficult situation. Young Israeli teenager named Daniel. Daniel grew up in Jerusalem around 600 BC. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of a, of a neighboring nation, Babylon. And Babylon and the king Nebuchadnezzar and his troops, they attacked and destroyed Jerusalem. They went into the temple and they smashed all of the religious symbols and burned the temple down. He tried, he tried to destroy their past, he tried to destroy their present, and he also tried to destroy their future. He said to his leaders, go find the sharpest, most capable young men among the royal families. Let's find those future influencers, those future leaders. Let's bring them back to Babylon. We destroyed their temple, showing them how worthless that their God is. So let's also take these young men from their homes, their families. Let's indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture and our gods. And let's train them for three years. Then they will become leaders in my government. I'm not good. I'm a, I'm a math. Uh, I love math. Was horrible at geography and history. I wanted to at least show you a map. Sometimes we forget that these are real places and these are real people. So on the west, you can see Jerusalem near the Mediterranean Sea. And if you go over to the right, to the east, 
you will see Babylon. That is roughly 900 miles away that these young boys, in a day and age when people didn't travel outside of their uh, local village or town, 900 miles away. So let's pick up Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff. Isn't that a great name? I don't know. Any of you name your kids Ashpenaz yet? I'm thinking that, I mean, it's just like you can't help but smile. Just so, I don't know, if you have any bad moments this week, just say Ashpenaz, you know, and, and, and you'll just feel better about life. All right, moving on. To bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Can you imagine being a young teenager, being captured? All the confusion, all the anxiety, wondering what in the world is happening as you're taken 900 miles away. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Now, the chief of staff, Ashpenaz, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, and Azariah was Abednego. What is Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's saying, I want these young men to speak like we speak. I want them to think like we think. I want them to eat from the king's table, the best food in the country. <laughs> Very strategic strategy to indoctrinate these young, highly capable Israelite teenagers into the pagan, ungodly Babylonian culture. Think, behave, and believe like Babylonians. <laughs> do you realize, do you realize 3,000 years later, this is the same exact strategy that Satan uses in order to destroy the future of our communities, our churches, our government, our nation, our world? If Satan can attack and capture the minds and the hearts, the behaviors and the beliefs of our young people, if he can separate, isolate, and indoctrinate our children, our teenagers, our young adults, he can rob us of our future. Thank you. Thank you, Crossroads Community Church for being a place that uses the same exact strategy in order to train and to teach and to capture the hearts of our young people for God and for his glory and for his word. My understanding is that for many, many years around here, Crossroads has said we're gonna intentionally invest in children. We're gonna intentionally invest in our teenagers we're going to invest in our young adults. We're going to make ministry shifts and ministry uh, changes. We aren't going to hold on to this is how we've always done it around here, whatever it may be. 
We've said, no, we're, we're going to make changes in order to make what we do ministry-wise relevant to the next generation. Oh, I don't know. I just wrote down. I, since we've been here um, a little over a year, a year and a half, we've seen the Easter extravaganza, Boobash, Kalahari Youth Retreat, student ministries for junior and senior high, Crossroads Kids happens every Sunday, Beyond Youth Rally, middle school, high school students, kids camp. About a year ago when we moved from an apartment and bought our first house here in this area, uh, the, the two guys that uh, moved us, I uh, invited one of them to church and I told him Crossroads and I can never remember these highway numbers and so I don't know, I just know Love's Truck Stop has great hot dogs. So I said, you know, Love's Truck Stop off Highway 20 and a little bit. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I know that church. He said, back when I was in high school, a friend used to bring me to the youth group there. It's like 20 years ago, I don't know, 15, 20, 30, I don't know, not 30, 20 years ago. Thank you. Thank you, Crossroads pastors. Thank you, Crossroads staff members. The heroes of the local church, the hero is Jesus, but the heroes of the local church are the volunteers. And so I thank all the volunteers here at Crossroads. And I also think there's just a little bit of a unique heroic sauce on the top of those who invest in children and in teenagers. And I know we've got some right here in the second row that have invested in teens for a number of years around here at Crossroads. Friends, listen, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you wanna change this world 100 years from now, invest in the life of a child. Invest in the life of a teenager. Because they're gonna grow up and they're gonna have kids, they may have grandkids, and you're literally making an investment in a world, in this community, our country, 100 years from now, when you invest in the life of a child, invest in the life of a teenager. Thank you, each and every one of you that invest in volunteers with kids, with teenagers, and the ministries of Crossroads. This word of Daniel is also a reminder to us, friends, that if Satan can twist the truth of God's word so that followers of Christ will think like he thinks, believe what he believes, and behave the way that those who don't know Jesus would behave, he can destroy. He can destroy our marriages. He can destroy our, our, our community, our schools, our churches, ultimately our nation and our world. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be tentative. But we have to continue to pursue Jesus on a daily basis because Satan isn't going to take a day off. We cannot fall into the trap of being a cultural Christian. <laughs> A cultural Christian is one who believes in God and believes in Jesus Christ, but lives as if he doesn't exist. There's no connection between their belief and their behavior. Friends, if you never stick out like an outsider because you refuse to stand up for your convictions, if your pattern and your practice is simply to blend in with what everybody else is doing, I would contend, I am sorry to say that you are not following Jesus. If you and I are following Jesus, there are gonna be times where we're gonna stand up and stand out. We're gonna be an outsider because we're simply not gonna do what everybody else is doing. We're gonna say, nope, nope, that isn't my relationship with God would say I'm not gonna participate in that. I'm not gonna just do that. Nebuchadnezzar, 
Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change how they thought, change what they believe, change their behavior. He wanted to change their diet, their name. In the Jewish culture, your name represented your story. It was very, very important. And when Nebuchadnezzar strips them of their name, he tries to strip them and change their identity. Daniel and his friends, these young teenagers, 900 miles from home, and Nebuchadnezzar attempted to change their identity. Their names were all originally associated with Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one true God. Daniel meant God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Michelle means who is equal to God. Yahweh is he and he alone is worthy of our worship. Azariah means Yahweh has come. Yahweh has helped. He has seen us in our time of need and he moved into motion and he acted on our behalf. Powerful, powerful reminders of the goodness of God. What did their new names mean? Well, Belteshazzar, Daniel's new name, means the false god of Baal will protect the king. Shadrach and Meshach, their names were referring to respect for and obedience to the Babylonian god of the moon, Aku. Meshach means I am a servant of the Babylonian god of wisdom, Nebo. So, that was why he changed their names. What about their diet? What in the world did that have to do with? Well, they were to eat the food prepared for the king. Certainly that would be the finest food in the country. I mean, wow, what a, can you imagine? Like, fair food is good, but I think this might be even better than fair food, I'm just thinking. Why? Why was Daniel opposed to eating that food? Well. All of the food, the meat, the wine that was prepared for the king was dedicated to pagan gods. So even though these young men were 900 miles from home, they had no idea what was going to happen. They had predetermined in their heart that they were going to worship and honor Yahweh in every way possible. And in their minds, to eat and drink anything dedicated to pagan gods would cross a line. It would be disrespectful, dishonoring, and unfaithful to God. And we read the key verse for me in this passage in verse 8. Why don't you read this out loud uh, with me? Would you please read this? But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Daniel didn't resist there was nothing he could do when they took him and these friends of his 900 miles from home. It was out of his control. They changed his name and he said, you know what? That doesn't define who I am. No, what defines me is who I worship. My worship defines me, not my name. <laughs> but when God's name and his character, when Daniel's worship and allegiance to God would be insulted, he said, I'm willing to stick out like an outsider. Can you imagine how good this food that was offered to him was? <laughs> all the confusion, all the anxiety, all of the unknowns in his life, and yet he said, no, I would prefer not to eat that food. You can change my name, that doesn't define me. 
but I'm not going to insult my Lord, my God, who has given me life. He's given me hope. He saw something in me when no one else did. Daniel said, you know what? For me. For me, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And I'm not going there. If I stick out like an outsider, I stick out like an outsider. I'm not going there. I haven't always gotten this right, for sure. I remember uh, I grew up in Northwest North Dakota. I went to college in the southeast corner of the state, about 400 miles away. And I remember predetermining in my heart that I was going to be an active part of a local church. That was all I knew growing up. However, I knew, I knew my faith would not stay strong if I wasn't a part of a, of a church family. And uh, man, I remember that first Saturday night. I'm sure many of you, the very first Saturday night that you aren't living at home. <laughs> in my case, I was away at college. And I remember thinking, wow, no one will know if I go to church tomorrow or not. <laughs> It's like my decision. I remember setting my alarm and going to church that next day, and I'm so grateful, so grateful that I stayed in that habit. Oh, that didn't make me a Christian, but man, it gave me a a church family and brought so many blessings into my life. Well, I was raised by a single mom, and she had saved some money for her college for me, and And so I I did my best to to make it stretch. But heading into my junior year of college, uh, I knew I needed to, so I didn't, my freshman and sophomore years, I didn't work. I worked in the summertime, but not during the school year. But my junior year, I knew I was gonna have to work during the school year, otherwise I was was gonna run out of money my junior year of college. And uh, boy, it was tough to get a job uh, those years. This would have been uh, 80, 88, 87, 89, those years. Uh, it It was difficult to get a job. And I applied at the, uh, the student union on campus, the Memorial Union in the custodial department and got a call back. And uh, the guy said, man, can you come in? I want to offer you a job. Man, I was so excited. And I, I sat down with him and, and uh, he said, man, I got the best shift for you. Uh, minimum wage was three thirty-five, and he's like, and 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 I pay three fifty-five, you know, twenty cents more. And he just thought that was like the greatest thing that he was offering me twenty cents more an hour. And uh, he said, I got the best shift for you, from nine a.m. to six p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays, and you can stay clocked in for all nine hours. That'll be eighteen hours of employment every weekend. And he said, it's not busy around here. Uh, you don't have to do any setup or tear down. Basically, about every two hours, you just need to walk through the building, make sure, walk through the bathrooms, make sure there's nothing that's gotten, you know, disturbed. And you can watch football, you can work on homework, and you can get paid. And my heart was just racing, man. I was very shy, I was quiet, <laughs> I didn't like conflict, and my heart was just racing. Because obviously what that meant is that I wouldn't be able to go to church on Sundays my entire junior year if I took that job. And I had committed. I was teaching the Sunday school class for our junior and senior high students on Sunday mornings. I was very involved in in other ministries. And my heart was just racing. 
honestly, guys, gals, I needed that job. I needed that money. Was I going to speak up or was I going to stay quiet? And all of a sudden, it just was like, boom, in the moment, I had to make a decision. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I, that's, that, that shift isn't going to work for me. I was like, please don't ask me why. Please don't ask me why. And he kind of looks at me with a startled face like, dude, I just told you all the benefits of this job. Watch football, do your homework, get paid. Why, why doesn't it work for you? I said, I, I go to church every Sunday and I, I teach Sunday school class for our junior high and senior high uh, students. And his face went from surprise to anger. Uh, he said a couple words that I won't repeat outside of church or inside of church. And he said, well, I don't think I have a job for you then. And man, my heart just sank. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we just sat there and all of a sudden he says, well, I guess I could, I, I do have this shift. He said, I've got a 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. only on Saturdays, four hours every week. And he said, you will do more work in those four hours than you will in the 18 hours of the other shift. He said, the, there's a bowling alley and there was all this, these uh, tables. He said, all that's gonna be trashed at 6 a.m. and you have got to have all of that cleaned up before nine o'clock when our doors open. I said, I'll take that job. Now, you, you catch this, like a college student, 6 a.m. every Saturday, <laughs> it's not exactly a dream shift. I truly did. That's probably the hardest four hours I've probably worked since because I had to rush, no breaks, so that I could get everything cleaned up before nine. Can I also tell you I grew more that year spiritually than any other year of my life? Can I also share with you that I met my wife at church that school year? And I often think to myself, had I compromised had I compromised something I had determined in a, my heart, a commitment that I made, had I compromised that, how different would my life be today? Friends, when Satan attacks Christians and we say, no, I'm not going there, I'm gonna honor the conviction that God has given me, our faith will grow. Pastor Mark Batterson says this, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. Jesus actually died to make us dangerous. The will of God is a dangerous plan. If you and I never resolve and take a stand and we, instead we shrink away from God's call and destiny for our life, and that breaks my heart. Is there a predetermined conviction that you need to be reminded of today? Or one that you need to make? I don't know, maybe there are conversations or gossip at work, church, neighborhood, family that you need to walk away from. Maybe it has to do with sex or alcohol or what media you're putting into your eyes and your ears and your mind. It's not helpful to your future. Maybe there's some predetermined conviction that you need to make about staying or being involved in your local church. Uh, we've taught both of our kids that there's a no-touch zone. Until, until you come before the Lord and say, till death do us part, there's no touching from the shoulders to the knees. <laughs> and I used to joke with them, if you touch someone or they touch you, I'm going to pop out from behind that couch. Be like, no touching. <laughs> Not until you're married. 
<laughs> from the shoulders to the knees, shoulders to the knees. <laughs> Every now and then, because of what you've predetermined in your heart to honor and to glorify God, you'll stick out like a sore thumb. You'll become an outsider. But friends, I'm convinced it's those predetermined convictions that will hold you steady during times of disruption, when life throws you for a loop, when you get blindsided in a way that you never thought you would be blindsided. So the three lines that Terry and I drew before we were married, we made a commitment to God and to each other that we would always be an active member of a local church. And for us, that meant we were gonna attend, we were gonna volunteer, and we were going to give financially. We made a commitment before the Lord to return to God the first 10% of our income. It's called a tithe to our local church. The Old Testament says the purpose of tithing is to teach us to trust God. I had huge trust issues, huge trust issues. I was destroying our marriage and I truly believe that our conviction, it had nothing to do with finances, it had nothing to do with giving so that the church could pay the light bill. It was what our hearts needed, and even more specifically, it's what my heart needed. I truly believe, had we walked away, there were times when that was a very tough thing to do, and I truly believe, had we walked away from that conviction, we would not be married today. And the third conviction that Terry and I made, because we had seen how devastating it can be in families, is we decided that alcohol would not be a part of our life or our home. And uh, these last five years, man, it's been tough. We've had a lot of grief. We've had the loss of parents, and there's just been a lot. Sun getting deployed, and it's been a lot of nights. We don't sleep well, or one of us will wake up, and the other one's already awake. <laughs> and we've talked, I don't know, Terry, several times. We're like, if we even were like, hey, let's have a glass of wine before we go to bed so that we can sleep better, we can only imagine where our life could have been. It would have been so easy to take another step, another step, another step. So I'm just saying for us, I truly do believe those three lines that we drew in the sand 33 plus years ago is why our marriage, our family is still together. For Daniel and these three outsiders, they said, we're willing to take a stand three times a day for these meals. And the end of the story, Verse 18 and 19, when the training period had ordered, the chief of staff brought these young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was so impressed with them, and they entered the royal service. And what we read then, if you go on to chapter 2, 3, and 4, there's a whole bunch of things that happen, but in chapter 4 at the end, Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king who tried destroying Yahweh's people, he actually began to worship God. He began to worship God because of the faith of these young teenage boys. Verse 37, chapter four says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Friends, listen. When you stand up for your convictions, I do believe not only will your faith grow, every so often, I'm not saying every time, but every so often, your faith will actually encourage other people to worship the same God that you and I worship. 
I don't know if my boss at the Memorial Union, I don't know if in any way I impacted him. But I used to think about that every Saturday morning, man, when I'm busting my tail to get all of that stuff clean by 9 o'clock. I used to think, man, man, I hope my boss softens his heart towards God. I hope in some small way, maybe he inches a, a, just a bit closer to the worship of God. So what conviction do you need to predetermine in your heart today? Where is it that God is leading you? to draw a line in the sand. Friends, that journey starts with receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. I wanna lead us in a prayer to receive Christ today if you're not following him. We're all gonna, no one prays alone, we're all gonna pray together. And then I wanna give us an opportunity to uh, respond uh, to this message. So let's pray out loud, if you would with me please. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life, I will follow you. God, I pray there's been open hearts throughout the auditorium. For those out on the lawn, in their cars, watching online, (laughs) wherever they may be, God, I pray your spirit will Continue to speak to us, Lord. We want to know you more. We need a change from the inside out. We're not talking about behavior modification. We're, change, we're talking about having a whole new ownership on the inside. So God, may your will be done in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give all of you an opportunity. Uh, we're going to sing a song together. And uh, I've got pieces of tape all along the, uh, the front of the platform here. And uh, if God's triggered something in your heart, there's a, a line in the sand you need to draw or maybe one that you drew. And this is just a reminder. You know, maybe you're tempted to, to jump over here. Uh, All I'm just going to ask you is as we sing, you can come and grab a piece of tape and I would just ask that you would keep it somewhere, put it on your cell phone, put it on your fridge, in your car, maybe at work. Um, Someone after first service, this is not to put over your spouse's mouth, just to be clear with that, all right? But it might be to put over your mouth. I don't know. (laughs) Because this isn't about your spouse or your kids. It's about me and you. You with me? So if God's laid something on your heart, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to embarrass you. It's just a way of saying, yes, God, I was listening to you today. So let's stand. I pray that the Holy Spirit uh, has been powerful and effective in all of your lives. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And uh, if you want to come and grab a piece of tape, I would just encourage you to do that.